Welcome to the ladies. Oh, we had a genius idea. Why haven't we not been calling it Girl Talk? We've missed that all these years. We've been calling it Women's Time when obviously it should be called Girl Talk because that's way cuter. Or maybe it's dumb. I'm not sure. They think it's cute. They like it. Let's remember that. Do you feel misled? Girl Talk? I know. Well, it kind of is. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, okay, so um, today I'm speaking out of a book that's been really helpful to me in my life. It's called Lies Women Believe and the Truth That Sets Them Free. It's by Nancy Lay. Actually, it's not DeMoss anymore. She's married. Girl Muth? Yes, she just got married a couple years ago. And I don't know how to say her new last name. I think it's on your handout if you wanted to look at it. Gromluth or something? Grom something? Wolgamuth. Okay, Wolgamuth. In case you want to look it up. I recommend that many of you should read it. Because, well, I'm just going to say all. All of you should read it. Because I think it would also really be helpful to you. Um, a lot of the material I'm going over today is pulled from this book. Um, but it's by no means an all-encompassing picture of the book. And an hour-long session. So I really recommend that you guys pick it up and give it a read because it's been really helpful to me. Um, and as I reviewed it for this talk, um, and when I was going over the material, I felt that everyone could really use these concepts to live a more peaceful and free life. I love the subtitle, the truth that sets us free. So the idea of living a more free life. Um, as I work with more, more and more people, uh, women in particular, um, I'm starting to notice that many Christian women, not just non-Christian women, many Christian women are living in how Nancy describes it as bondage, um, which I'd agree with. And I think it looks different in different people, um, but it shows itself in personal guilt, um, condemnation, bondage of the past, fear, worry, anger, depression, self-pity in a lot of other ways. Um, and people who live in this bondage aren't free to experience the grace and love of God. And it seems that Christian women are in trouble because, as I said, I'm not talking about non-Christian women. We're talking about Christian women that are experiencing this. So on your handout, it's a beefy handout, I've kind of just threw a lot in there for almost as a reference to you that that could be helpful to you. But um, at the top of the handout, it has two lists of words. And so what I'd like you to do is just take a moment and read through those two lists and circle the words that you feel like describe your life right now. Okay, go. So would you believe me if I said you could truly experience the second list? And probably a lot of us circled words from both lists, but 
I'm here to make the case you can experience the second list more heavily than the first. Um, as I was working on this talk, as many of you know, I do most of my best work in Coffee Ranch, and uh, I heard, I was sitting in Coffee Ranch, and I heard this guy come up to this other guy, and he was like, oh, hey, you know, how's life going? And he said, it's going, and the guy was like, good, yeah, good. And it just, uh, you know, I was re reading this material, and I was just thinking, like, is that, is that, like, what we're going for, like, going? Is that what the best that we're searching for? John 10.10 says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. So as you think about your life, would you say that you're experiencing the abundant life that Jesus came to give you? Or do you find yourself just existing or coping or surviving or just kind of struggling just kind of chugging along. Those are two very different things. So as I dive into this, let, let me first pray. Dear God, thank you so much for these women. I pray that you'll help us um, really look deep into our lives and see how you offer us an abundant life, that we don't have to buy into lies from the enemy, and that we can live fully enjoying you. I pray that you'll help us look honestly at ourselves to see what lives we are believing and how we can turn from those to your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So my first point on there is, unfortunately, we are all like Eve. Yes, Adam and Eve, Eve, that's Eve I'm talking about. Um, Elizabeth Elliot, she's awesome, one of my personal heroes. She put it well. She said, Eve refused what was given usurped, oh, I made to look up how to say that, usurped, yep, usurped, what was given, <laughs> what was not given, and said, in effect, my will be done. Eve refused what was given, usurped what was not given, and said, in effect, my will be done. So we've all experienced these types of defeats or trouble. Um, Eve, when she first did it, it was a very extreme example. You know, all humanity fell forever. So maybe not that level of depravity forever, but if extreme enough. Um, and even if it's not extreme, it can be often just small lapses in sin. But even these small lapses can reveal how far our hearts really are from God. And just like Eve, we've all believed lies that have led us away from God. We've all been deceived. And even if we don't know it, which by definition is deception. If you don't know, you wouldn't know you're being deceived. That's what deception is. So if you're sitting here thinking, I'm not deceived, well, that's what you would think. If, that, that's what a deceived person would think is I'm not deceived. By deception, you wouldn't know that. And the truth is the same enemy that deceived Eve is the same enemy that deceives us now. Um, we do have one advantage, I think, um, is that we have the Bible, and the Bible lays out uh, the enemy's strategy against us. And so we can have some sort of like understanding of how the enemy tends to attack us. I listed a bunch of verses in your handout. I'm just going to kind of cruise through them. Um, John 8:44 says, um, in effect, that this I'm just reviewing the strategy. John 8:44 says he's evil from the start. Um, 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says he um, blinds the world. 1 Corinthians 11.14 says he's disguised as an angel of light. So that one's a tricky one. 
Ephesians 6, 11 through 12 says, um, he has helpers and he's actively fighting against us. And then 1 Peter 5, 8 says he's looking to devour us. Um, Satan's very first strategy against people was repackaging information in a way to make you question God's question God's goodness. In Genesis 3.1, he starts talking to Eve by saying, did God really say? I just think that's such a sly way to start making your mind turn over on itself. Did God really say? What a tricky way to phrase that. Um, But we know that now. We know that about the enemy. Um, And that just statement, did God really say, triggered the biggest one of the biggest events in all of history, the downfall of man. Um, This Puritan pastor, Thomas Brooks, says, Satan promises the best, but pays with the worst. He promises honor and pays with disgrace. He promises pleasure and pays with pain. He promises profit and pays with loss. He promises life and pays with death. So that's like a pretty sobering quote, you know? Um... And for reasons that I'm not sure anyone could fully understand, there's some theories, but that Jesus, I mean, that Satan specifically targeted Eve in the garden, um, and not Adam. So he knew that that was a part of his strategy. I think he knows, for some reason, women are extra prone to this kind of deception. Um, So in the book, it provides 40 lies that she believes that uh, women are buying into and spends time fighting them. Each chapter goes through them and fights them with the truth. Um, I put in your handout a big list of the lies, not all of them from the book. Um, But then, of course, there's more lies we could believe outside the 40, but they're, I think, some of the most popular ones. Um, So what I'd like you to do now is to go to that chart and um, circle ones that you think you might be believing. So just spend some time and do that right now. A lot of the lies there, um, I've never heard someone say out loud. A lot of them you probably wouldn't say out loud. Some I definitely have heard people say out loud. Um, but just because you haven't said it out loud doesn't mean that you don't believe it in your heart. Um, so it could have been, hopefully, looking through it, it could have been a little startling. It felt startling to me when I read through the book, thinking, oh, no, <laughs> I believe this stuff. I, by my actions, I really do believe this stuff. Um, but since we know that, so let's just go forward with all being on the same page that we believe lies, okay? We all believe lies. So since we know that, what do you do? Um, We need to raise our awareness of the enemy and not be naive to all the ways that we're being deceived. I think that's a big part of it. Um, Let's not unthinkingly expose ourselves to the enemy's strategy, but instead open our eyes and evaluate what's going on. I, we keep coming back to First Peter 5.8. It says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Oh, I think that verse has come up a couple times this week. Um, so that's sticking out. Um, I think a good flag in our brain would be whenever we're hearing input that's not consistent with the word of God, that we can be sure that Satan's trying to deceive and destroy us. Um, It may even read or sound right, 
But if it's contrary to the Bible, it just isn't right. So much of our lifestyle is rooted in thinking, um, thinking these ways, and they're just simply not true. Um, so some good questions you could ask yourself is, what's the message here? That's a question that's helped me a lot. Like, what's the message here? Is it really true? So thinking through, like, one of the lies is God doesn't love me. Like, is that really true? Um, am I be, being deceived in a, by a way of thinking that is contrary to the truth? So once you realize this, then the next course is to fight back. So if we can sum down every sinful act, every bad thing we ever do, can really be traced back to a lie. Um, and Nancy in the book sums it up, the progression from deception to bondage. Um, the first way we do that is we listen to a lie, which is a slippery so slope, a slippery slope that leads to disobedience. Um, this is why it's, careful, it's important to carefully monitor what we're allowing into our lives because if we're just listening to lies and garbage, then that's the first step. We're just listening to this and allowing it into our life. There's no harmless lies. Um, we can't expose ourselves to the world's false, deceptive way of thinking and come out unscathed. Like, it just doesn't. You can't just walk through that and it doesn't stick to you. So that's listen to the lie. Second one is dwell on the lie. And what that means is you're kind of engaging the enemy in conversation. You hear this thing and you stop to consider it. And it doesn't take long to go from dwell on the lie to the next step, believe the lie. So now you've bought in, you've decided that's truth. And once you've decided that's truth, then of course you'll act on the lie because um, every and so that just shows every act of sin when you're acting on a lie is sin. And you, you might have heard the phrase a lot, people do what makes sense to them. This has kind of clicked with me here because if sinning makes sense to you, if, if you're sinning, you're doing something that makes sense to you. So it makes sense to you because you're believing a lie. And so you can see how all that sin can kind of boil down to that lie. Um, I wanted to share an example from my life about a time that um, I went through these stages. Um, so many of you know that Cody is in, has been in a long process of be getting diagnosed with epilepsy or something with his brain. But he hasn't been diagnosed, so we're still figuring it out. Getting diagnosed with epilepsy is what he most likely thinks it is. Um, and the best way he describes it is a brain problem. I know it sounds kind of silly, but that's how he describes it, his brain problem. So when the brain problem is bothering him, what it looks like is he can't focus, he can't read, he feels just overall yucky, um, and he just really like isn't his best self when it's bothering him. And it bothers him pretty much every day. Um, so you can imagine it's very difficult on him and makes just simple life tasks more difficult. So over the past year, since it kind of got worse over the past year, we decided to be a little more aggressive with figuring out a solution to whatever's bothering him. And so if you've ever gone through any sort of health crisis, you'll know what I mean when I say it's just very slow and a frustrating process. Um, and during this time, I found my tendency was to get really frustrated, really agitated, annoyed, angry, at all, like, you deal with doctors and nurses and insurance people and this whole deal. And I was just so annoyed at everybody. <laughs> and my thoughts were going down this way of 
And things where I was thinking was, why does nobody care about Cody? Or do I have to fight everyone? Sorry, it's still obviously emotional. Do I have to fight everyone to get anything done for him? Why are so many people incompetent? If you've ever been to an, an incompetent feeling doctor, it can be so frustrating. So it's just turning into this knotted up ball of worry. So when looking through this progression, I can see how I got myself into this sinful world of worry and anger. Um, the lie I was listening to was, um, you need to take matters into your own hands to get anything done. Um, so after shortly dwelling on this perspective, I quickly brought into this because honestly, that's what the world teaches. Like if you want it done right, you got to do it yourself. And so that's what I just decided we would do. Um, so it didn't take long to let this drive my actions. I truly believed that I could take control of the situation and find answers. Um, so this just led me towards this untrue belief and burden that I put on myself and I acted on this lie by really trying to take control. And I brought on something I shouldn't have onto myself. Um, and I just got pounded with worry and stress. So if you've ever been there, you kind of know how I feel. Maybe you can think of an example in your own life where you've gone down a bad road and that thought took an action. Um, but take heart. God's truth is more powerful than any lie. Um, and so here's how she outlined moving from bondage to freedom. Um, the, the first point is identify the area of bondage or sinful behavior. Second Peter 2.19 says, A man is a slave to, whoever, to whatever has mastered him. So you could really ask yourself the question, what has a hold on you? The second point is identify the lies at the root of that bondage or behavior. So once you see what the sinful nature is, you need to get serious about removing it. Um, and it's like the best illustration I've heard is like if you have a poisonous berry bush in your backyard and you're like, oh, I need to get rid of that poisonous berry bush. You don't go out into the backyard and pick all the berries and be like, ta-da, the poisonous berries are gone. No, you have to get down in the dirt and get your, I don't know, tools out, whatever it takes to dig it up from the root because you don't want a poisonous berry bush in your yard. And it's the same way in our hearts. Like if you're realizing I have this sinful pattern, it, it, does, it has to get down and figure it out. And then and you replace the lie with the truth. Um, a good strategy that I've just learned, um, we teach it to the kids in Kids Zone, is to say, pray, obey. So those are three of your blanks. To say, pray, obey. I, we teach it to the kids at church, but I think every adult should know um, how to do that. So to just give an example of what that would look like is first you say out loud, I am a believer. So like I'm going to use the lie, I'm too tired. I'm going to use that for example. So if I wanted to say, pray, obey, I would say, I'm believing the lie that I'm too tired. The truth is God strengthens me. Are you telling yourself the truth? And then I, I would suggest quoting a verse to yourself. Um, so a verse that would be good for I'm too tired is Isaiah 40, 29. He gives me power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Okay, say. And then you pray and ask God for help. So if I was believing the lie, I'm too tired, then I would stop pray and ask God to help me. And then the last step would be obey. Then I go and do the thing that God's asking me to do. So if I'm too tired, then I get up out of bed and I go and do the thing. Um, 
And because the truth is more powerful than any of Satan's lies. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So to continue on in my Cody story, um, I knew something was wrong because I knew worry was bad and I knew that's what I was doing. So I knew something was wrong. I knew I shouldn't have been so worked up about it. Um, and so that was, a, that was a warning sign that went off in my brain. Like, bing, you're too worked up about this situation, Brittany. Um, so I, I needed to start thinking, stop worrying, start thinking to get, get rid of this. Um, that, that started me off. So honestly, once I started be, begin to realize um, I was having a problem with this, I had to seriously stop and ask God to help me um, because I knew my perspective of the situation was wrong. Um, and God really helped me see reality. I, it's not like he brought down this secret magnifying glass or something, so I had a different physical lens to look out of, but through my quiet times, through praying, I did come back to the ground <laughs> and see reality for what it was. Um, the first thing I realized is that my sinful area was being controlling of the situation. Um, I wasn't trusting God that he loves Cody more than I do. And um, God wants to help Cody, no matter what that looks like. Um, so by identifying the sinful behavior, that helped me figure out the root of the problem um, and actually, a million, okay, not a million. When I was in college a couple years ago, um, Joni actually helped me with realizing, helping me figure out the root of a problem to, with this question. She just kept saying, well, how do you think life works when you do that? And it was like the most frustrating question I've probably ever been asked because <laughs> I'm terrible at answering those types of questions. Um, but she just kept asking me, well, how do you think life works when you do that? And I'd be like, oh really have to think about it. Um, so that's, but now that's been a question that really sticks with me. So when I take control of situations and put it all on my power, how I think life works in that moment is something like this. I know better than God. I can solve this problem better than God is solving the problem. And wow, that's a really dangerous place to be. I would never say that out loud, but in my heart, that's how I'm acting. So once I began to see this perspective in my, li my life, I knew I had to take action. Um, something that helps me is writing out my problems on paper and then just finding solutions. I think that's just how my brain works. So I made myself a little cheat sheet for the problem um, and put it in my bathroom to review it when I was getting ready in the morning. And it had the truth I need to believe and a lot of verses to review. Um, so I. Brought, this is what it looked like. Nothing fancy. I was trying to think of a good illustration, and I was looking at this in my bathroom. I'm like, oh, yeah. So all it says is, say, pray, obey. That's the top. Then it says, Cody's brain. I know what that means. And then I have truth. God is in control, is not surprised, and has a plan. Our job is to trust him. So just help me know, like, all my job is to trust him. And then I have, the rest of it is just verses. It has Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, Matthew 6, 33, 34, Romans 8, 28, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, Philippians 4, 6, 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. So I just had this sitting in my bathroom 
when I knew I was going down a bad track, and I would just whip it out. So I have a multitude of these <laughs> from different life situations that I have a hard time with, and just it helped me to put it down on paper, like this, this is the truth you need to believe, and here's some verses to help you out. So since I got more serious about removing that lie from that situation, it really has gotten much better. I feel much more peaceful about the whole situation, and I've grown in the process. Not to say that I never get upset about it or I worry about it, but I do now have a better tactic um, for finding that. And it's not like a cheat sheet on paper is going to solve all your problems, but this is just something that I think helps me physically seeing something. So I want, what I would love for you to begin to see is that believing these lies does place us in bondage. Believing that lie placed me in this like cage of worry. And the truth is that the truth has the power to overcome every lie. You know, the truth has the power to set us free. And the truth has the power to sanctify us. And we must remember that the truth is not merely an idea or a philosophy. The truth is a person, Jesus. Jesus did not point people to some religious system. He pointed them to himself. Um, this is, um, John 8, 31 through 36 says it's a little bit longer, so join me. It says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. We have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave is no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. So it's not enough to just know the truth. We must surrender to the truth. Um, that means we must be willing to change our thinking and our lifestyles and our actions in any areas where it doesn't line up with God's word. Ephesians 4, 14 through 15 says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and then by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceit, deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become the, in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So, we can, if we live this way, truly surrendering to the truth, we can really put to death the lies that we're believing and experience this type of freedom. Um, so to help me illustrate my point, I've invited uh, Sarah and Mariana and Katie and Joni to come up and join me on this very nice panel. You guys can come on up. Um, and I sent them a question beforehand answering the question, um, what, like, what lives have you found yourself believing and what happens, because <laughs> um, I think it would be helpful for you to see what it looks like when lies take root and how to unroot them. This by no means is like, yeah, you guys can come up. This by no means is like all-encompassing thing, so I'd love for you guys to ask questions of us. Oh, I don't have an order, wherever you want. Um, you guys can ask us some questions. Um, during the rest of the week. Honestly, we probably won't get to your questions in the box. I'm sorry, but it'll be good. Now you guys have thought through a question you can ask someone during a meal. So I'm going to go ahead and kind of interview them, and you guys get 
to listen in. Okay, friends? Here we go. Oh, I guess I'll sit in the middle. Okay. Okay. So, the original question I asked you guys was, what is a lie you found yourself believing, and what happened? So, would anyone like to start? Okay, Joni, you'll start. You know the advantage of starting first? Then you're done. <laughs> that's, what I just, that's what I just thought. I thought, I'll go first. Because <laughs> then I'll just get to sit here and enjoy the rest of their answers. <laughs> uh, okay, so um, Brittany's question was, what lies have you found yourself believing in? what happened. So the one that um, I'm going to do is the lie, I can make it without consistent time in the word and prayer. And just like Brittany was saying, I had this profound thought, this isn't what Brittany was saying, but I had this profound thought that deception is deceiving. It's so annoying because I'm not, I don't come up to you and say, I believe that I can live without spending time in God's word in prayer. Like, I would never walk up to you and say that. But how, um, but if I don't spend time in God's word and in prayer, it reveals that I believe that lie. And so, um, like most deception, we would never proclaim something like that out loud um, but that's the action that but that's what my actions show um, our enemy tries to convince us to live the Christian life without cultivating an intimate relationship with Jesus you guys are under that deception I mean it it, it just is something the enemy and 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 our human nature and our culture we're just under this deception that even as a Christian, I don't really need to cultivate a personal relationship with Jesus. I learn a lot. I read a lot. I go to conferences. But am I really developing my personal relationship with Jesus? If, you're in it, if the enemy can get us to operate on our own thoughts and ideas in a situation like Brittany's situation, if the enemy can get you and any of us to operate on our own ideas rather than seeking the wisdom that comes from God, he knows we will eventually get sucked into the world's destructive way of thinking, which is employing a self-defeating strategy. It doesn't work. It's self-defeating. Um, and unless I adjust, so Brittany adjusted, and submitted to herself to God, asking him to search her heart and speak to her through his word. Unless we do that, we just continue on in our own struggle, seeing things from our own perspective. Um, <clears throat> um, the first morning we were here, I was really struggling. I have some struggles that I seem to like because... I find myself struggling with them, thinking about them, trying to control something I can't control. 
So the first morning here, when we got here, I was really struggling with this ongoing issue. <clears throat> and I was looking at it completely from my own perspective. And the more I thought about it, the more I was upset about it. And you have lots of ways, you never, run, especially as women, we never run out of ways to think about something that we're struggling with. So we just go on and on. So I was in my room over there in Hickory Lodge, getting up out of bed and just thinking, you know, just being all tied up about this issue. And I, um, if, if I had stayed on in that place, I'm not reading the situation accurately. And if I had stayed in that place, it would have really messed up the whole reason I came. Because I would have been walking around, tied up in knots about this issue. And so I went to, because I have a pattern of going to God's word and going to God, I asked God, help me with this struggle, because I sat down to have my quiet time. Because I do have my quiet time. I spend time in God's word. And I sat down, had my quiet time, asked God for help. And when I read God's word, he completely, it completely straightened me out. It was, oh, that's exactly what I'm doing. I don't want to do that. Please forgive me, God, for relying in my, on my own understanding of this situation. And I was at peace. And I've gotten to experience time with you, you know, fellowshipping around who God is and how we can follow him and how we could know him. And the enemy wants me to think that I don't really need to spend time in God's word and relating to God. Because if I do, I'm going to get help and insight and live free from the bondage of whatever I'm struggling with. Um, I remember a time when I was inconsistent in my quiet times. And you know when you're inconsistent in your quiet times and you really want to be consistent in your quiet times and then you think, okay, I'm going to have three quiet times this week. And then you get to the end of the week and you're like, I can't believe it. I didn't. Or you meet with your person that you're teachable to. And they ask you, so how'd it go? How many quiet times do you have? And you're like, two. You know, have you ever gone through that? And you're like, but I really want to have quiet times. You know, so I finally realized, why do I not have consistent quiet times? I, I started asking myself, why do I not have consistent quiet times? And then I thought, my behavior reveals how I think life works. I must think it doesn't really matter if I spend time in God's word. I don't really need to. And so that changed my having quiet times. It really changed my, uh, my perspective on that. Psalms 119.1 says, I've hidden your word in my heart. That, my, that I may not sin against you. I was going to be sinning all over the place if I didn't go to God's word on the first morning we were here. 
I wasn't going to be going in God's strength. I was going to be in bondage, and I was going to be acting out of that. And then Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. That's the problem that listening to lies is. You're, listening, you're leaning on your own understanding. The enemy's helping you. In all your ways, submit to God, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. And that is exactly what happens. From bondage to freedom. Um, so my, um, lie that I believe is I can't control my emotions. Um, and so how many of us feel that way? Like we can't control our emotions. Yeah. But the truth is we actually can, we choose how we feel and how we respond to circumstances. Um, and it starts what Bevan was talking about, knowing your history where, you know, in your family or previous early life examples, that cultivated how you respond to things. And for me, um, in my family, I, (laughs) sorry, (laughs) Um, it was bad to show emotion. So, what I would do is I would go in my room and cry or um, be angry away from my my parents because they, It made them sad to see me sad, and so I had to process that on my own, and I found comfort in isolation. Um, And then as I went into high school, like, people hurt you, and so the way that I dealt with that is cutting people off and removing myself from situations where I can get hurt. Um, And so now, walking with Christ, God doesn't want us to be isolated, and he doesn't want us to be controlled by our emotions. Um, and that cycle really starts with um, knowing what you're thinking about. We tend to feel emotions the strongest. We, uh, I'm happy, I'm sad, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, um, I'm confused, and we feel that so strongly, but we don't always know why we're feeling that way. And so one thing I recently started to incorporate more into my life when I start struggling with an emotion is I start thinking, why am I feeling this way? What am I thinking about? Um, If I'm thinking about people that have hurt me, then I'm going to feel sad and I'm going to to go down that spiral of sadness. And I remember two years ago, I kept thinking about a hurt and that kept bringing me down further and further away from people and it was isolating me. And I was hurting people because I felt hurt. And, you know, hurt people hurt people. And we don't want our emotions to control us. Or angry people will make other people angry. Um, And so the first step that I had to take in order to control what I was feeling is sharing with someone why I'm feeling this way. And Brittany has been a huge help to me in processing that. Why am I feeling sad? And so I tell Brittany, these are the thoughts I'm having. And it's kind of scary because you think she's going to think I'm crazy. She's, you know, I'm not normal. I'm, I'm the only one thinking these ways. I'm the only one feeling these ways. Um, and the enemy does deceive us in that. Like, we're the only ones who feel this way. We're the only ones who think this way. 
Um, and so the first step in gaining control of my emotions is, under, is picking that thought, what am I thinking about that is bringing on this emotion and sharing that with somebody. Um, Brittany helped me be accountable to that. Um, I'm thinking of this hurt and I wanna process that with her and that really enabled me to focus more on Christ. Um, a verse that I held on in that process two years ago was, but as for you, you meant, oh, I just forgot. <laughs> but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Um, and so knowing that that's the truth, that whatever I'm experiencing, whatever, whatever emotion I'm feeling, the enemy wants to distract me, wants to hurt me, but God is going to use everything in my life for good. Um, and Brittany really helped me. We were at a women's retreat in having a scope focused on Jesus. When I'm focused on myself and my emotions, I'm sad, I'm angry, I'm frustrated. I get more caught up in myself. I become more selfish and I keep going down a spiral of isolation, rejection, um, and just further deep down into lies. But when I take the scope and focus it on Jesus, I see the truth of who he is and how he cares for me. He loves me and he wants to enable me to control what I'm feeling. Um, and it starts with our thought life. We take every thought captive and make it obey Christ. Say, pray, obey. And it's very, <laughs> working in the kids zone, it's very elementary. Like, oh, we teach this to children, but really we teach it to children so that they can develop that habit that will lead into their adult life where they're more equipped to handle whatever we're thrown. And so um, the lie that I can't control my emotion is a lie. <laughs> we can control our emotions. We can, you know, I think of things that make me happy. I think of, um, you know, certain friendships that I'm just, wow, I've, we've grown through so much together. Or I think of how I um, enjoy conversations in the past. Or I think about people who make me happy, like David makes me happy. If I think of him, words like, I'm just happy. I get giddy and excited. Like, and so when you're thinking about a hurt or an experience that really um, brought you down, the more you think about it, the more you're going to feel that. Um, but when we think about God, we think about who he is, who his character is, we're able to come out of our selfishness of being consumed in, our, in ourselves. And so um, there's this diagram that Harold Bullock came. Um, it's a thought leads to an emotion, an emotion leads to an action, and an action leads to a consequences. And for women, we start right in emotions. And we have to process and work our way back to what was that thought that really led to this emotion. Um, and for me, what really helps is processing it with somebody. And, Brittany's that person that I go to or um, someone that, you know, is there in the moment. If I continue to put myself in isolation, then I'm going to continue to believe a lie because I'm not hearing the truth from someone. And when I say what I'm thinking out loud, you can hear what, you're, what lie you're believing and how that leads to that emotion. And so uh, really a process with someone that you can trust that, you know, is wise and has things that are, you know, words that will lead you to Christ. And I think that would, that was really helpful for me <laughs> when I was experiencing a lot of emotions in that time.
Genesis 50, 22. 20. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 50, 20. Genesis 50, 20. Yay, Mariana. It reminds me like what the same kind of question sounds like you ask yourself like that I was saying is how do you think life works? Like that idea of going from the emotion back to the thought, you know. Calvin's favorite show is Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. And uh, there's a lot of little jingles. Some are better than others. But my favorite one is if something seems bad, turn it around and find something good. And that's kind of what you're saying something seems bad, turn it around and find something good. It's, that's not all there is, but you know, it's a good, it's a good starting spot <laughs> for a two-year-old. It's on his level. <laughs> okay. Passing it to Katie. Yay. <laughs> okay. Um, so my lie that I, it's really weird hearing your voice in these speakers. Um, my lie that I find myself believing a lot. And if you know me, you've probably heard me say it. <laughs> Which is not a good sign, I guess. <laughs> um, the, the lie that I struggle with is I don't have enough time to do what I'm supposed to do. My roommates are laughing. <laughs> uh, so it's real. It happens. Um, and this is why I work through this process. This is why this book is so helpful and God's truth is so helpful because I deal with it probably every day, if not multiple times a day. Um, Typically, in this situation, when you have this thought, there are two realities. One of them happens 10% of the time, and that is that you really don't have enough time. Um, you've either overcommitted to some things, um, you've, you've said yes to too many things, and now you are actually stretched thin, like maybe you booked two things at a time, and that's, that's, that can be a case, and that's not a great place to be. Um, Mostly because the enemy can use that if you feel really, if, well, first of all, you really need to be careful because when you say yes to something, you want to follow through and do it. Um, but the enemy can really trap you in that if you do say yes to too many things. Um, he'll try and get you to feel overwhelmed. And that often for me looks like I'm letting something slip or I start slacking on something. And that's not doing things with excellence before God. Or... I realize it after I failed in some way, and then I get discouraged because I failed, and the enemy really tries to swirl me around that and get me focused on myself. Um, but that only happens 10% of the time because 90% of the time I have this thought when I'm not actually too busy. I actually do have enough time, but it looks a little bit different. Um, <clears throat> it might mean that the margin in my life is a lot less than it ever has been. When I say margin, I mean like usually I have a meeting and then I might have half an hour and then I have another meeting. It could be like I have a meeting that ends at three and another meeting that starts at three and that's like zero margin. Um, or it could be um, that I just have less sleep, <laughs> you know. Um, but most of the time for me, I believe this lie when it's not actually true, which is which makes it a lie. <laughs> um, deception is deceptive. <laughs> um, yes, and so um, sorry, I'm trying to figure out where I am in my notes. Um, this lie creeps up because the reality is that I actually might be 
the busiest that I ever have been. Um, you know, for me right now, I'm planning a wedding, which is harder than I thought it would be. <laughs> and um, and I have a full-time job, and I live in a house with roommates that I love, so I want to hang out with them. And I'm dating. Well, I guess that I already kind of covered that. But, like, you know, I need to give attention to Jacob and not just plan our wedding. And, you know, there are all sorts of things in my life, and I've been told it only gets crazier. <laughs> um, but at, the, at this point, I just might be busier than I ever have been. When I have kids, I'll be busier than I ever, ever have been, you know. Um, and that's kind of how it works. God tries to grow, like expand our capacity. Um, <clears throat> and, but the other thing that makes this hard is that sometimes I feel this way when I'm taking on responsibility that God has not given me. Um, for me, what this looks like often isn't necessarily like physical, like I'm doing too many things. Um, it could be, but a lot of times it looks like I'm trying to take action on something that I've chosen to worry about. Um, something that isn't, God hasn't asked me to take action on. And, um, so then I'm struggling because I have all this stuff that I think I should be doing and I really shouldn't. And um, if you read the book, the truth in it says that, well, I guess I can get to it in just a second. <laughs> but basically, 90% of the time, I believe this lie. And, um, or when I believe this lie, it's not true. Um, so there are two perspectives um, that I can choose to have when this comes up. Um, oftentimes, when I believe this lie, it's the fork in the road. I have the thought, I have too much, I don't have enough time to do what I need to do. And the one of the roads says the enemy really tries to take God out of it as quickly as possible. And then I'm just looking at everything I need to do, often for a season, not just a day. Um, so I'm looking at the rest of the semester. I'm looking at the rest of the week. Um, and I think I can't do this. Not in my own strength. I can't do this. Um, this actually happened at our last staff meeting before coming to Hume. We sat down and planned Hume. Talked about the next two weeks after Hume are going to be really busy. And I literally told Jacob afterwards, we're just not going to plan a wedding for the next month. I hope that's okay with you. <laughs> Because we can't do it. We don't have enough time. And I felt really overwhelmed. I felt like I can't do both. I can't do this. Um, and that often is where the enemy wants to trap me. So that's one perspective is focusing on my ability and basically putting something on pause that God has given me. And the other fork in the road, the other road is <clears throat> kind of what Bevan was talking about. When you realize that God's presence is with you, all of a sudden, your emotion, your thoughts change because I have God. <laughs> like, I can't do it. <laughs> I don't know how to plan a wedding anyways. <laughs> but I can plan a wedding and figure that out with God and have a full-time job and host people at my house and do all of this. Not because God's trying to overwhelm me. He's giving me the gift of planning a wedding and having a full-time job and hosting people at my house because he wants those good things for me. Um, a lot of times I think, when I believe this lie, that my life is outside of God's sovereign and loving hand. I just think, oh no, my plate got too full. Whoops, sorry. God, I'm going to have to figure something out. But God put those things on my plate. Um, and he knows everything that's going on in my life. And yes, it probably is more than I've ever had to do. <laughs> um, but he is more than faithful. If he's put it on my plate, 
he's going to give me the strength to do it. Um, and there's a caveat to that. If that This is what I was going to say. The book makes it very clear that you get stuck in this lie, um, especially if you take on something that God hasn't given you. And God's not going to give you strength to take on something that he hasn't asked you to take on. So if I'm worrying about something with Jacob or, like, where are we going to live, and that's something he has said he's going to deal with, it's not my job to worry about it and think about it because that's not something God has put on my plate. And he's not going to let me do all the things I need to do and worry about this. It's just going to be frustrating and hard. He's not going to give me the strength to figure that out because he hasn't asked me to. Um, and so in that staff situation, very quickly after, as Jacob drove me home and dropped me off, he helped me say, pray, obey. He said, you know, Katie, God put everything on our plates that we have to do right now. And I don't think this is out of his sovereign and loving hand. It's a lot. I agree. But he must give us the strength to do it if he must be doing something in our lives. Kind of like what Bevan was saying, like, let's see what God does with this. Isn't that cool? And I was like, uh, no. <laughs> um, but so we, we said the truth. He prayed with me. And immediately I was like, okay, cool. We'll just be some whirlwinds of busy people. But, you know, that's, that's cool. You know, God's going to do something through that. And all of a sudden I remembered, you know, God's going to give me the strength to do all of these things. Um, something that if any of you know Carly Olson, something she has shared with me is that sometimes we try and claim things from God. Like a lot of times when we are really busy and we don't feel like we have enough time, we think like, oh, I don't have enough time to rest. I don't have enough time to spend time with my boyfriend or do things that we feel entitled to. And the truth is we're not entitled to anything. We're not entitled to margin our life or going to bed by 11 p.m. or whatever it is. And I often find myself frustrated with God because it's like, I didn't get nine hours of sleep last night. And that's just silly. <laughs> I mean, that's a little bit extreme. But a lot of times I want to claim things from him and claim that I and not getting what I want, basically. But instead, he's really been teaching me that I get to claim the fact that I have a Father in heaven that is going to give me the strength to do what I need to do. I get to claim, instead of ask, taking things from him and claiming, like, God, why aren't you giving me this? Instead, having him on my team, like, all of a sudden, he's not opposed. He's, he's not the enemy. He's, like, on my side, and he's behind me. And I get to say, you know what? I can't do this, but I have God's strength when I'm weak. Um, I have his help when I feel stuck and overwhelmed. Um, and I have his faithfulness when I don't really know how to be faithful in this situation. Um, and that's really, really helped me a lot. Um, something that Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared for us beforehand that we should walk in them. That's been really helpful for me when I'm tempted to think that my job is something I have to do or spending time in the Word is something I have to do or even like planning a wedding is something I have to do, which is kind of silly because you dream about it your whole life. <laughs> but it's like, man, like he, he prepared these beforehand for me and he's giving them to me and I don't want to waste that, especially if he's going to come alongside me and kind of teach me how to do it. What a special opportunity that is to grow with him. And um, that's something I have to choose. It doesn't come naturally. I'm naturally saying, I don't have enough time to do what I'm supposed to do. But instead, now I can say, I can claim, you know, 
wow, I have a God who wants to come behind me and teach me this, these things and teach me how to handle all of this. And that's a lot better of a situation for me. Um, so, yeah, that's my spiel. <laughs> so the lie I chose to talk about is God doesn't love me. And at first I really didn't even want to put this on my list of, like, possible options to talk about Um, because Brittany asked us like which ones stood out to us and that we've like thought of a lot and I like wasn't even going to put this one on the list but I did and the reason I wasn't going to is because it was deceiving like I I didn't even want to say in that moment that I have believed this lie because as a Christian you would think God loves me like that's such a basic level (laughs) truth and um But I found that it made the most sense to talk about this one because of that reason. So um, I don't think I've ever said this out loud once, but I have thought it a lot of times. And so so I wanted to take the time, as I thought about what to share with you, to think about how I knew in my past or even recently that I have actually believed this lie, and it is by looking at my actions. And so... Um, Some of the things that I um, noticed as I thought about different times in my life when I probably was believing this lie. Um, One main one is that I definitely gave in to self-pity when I, um, that was like the action that I took is like dwelling in sadness or like guilt and shame of whatever um, I had done. Even if it was a small thing, like, oh, I... um, didn't speak rightly to my friend, you know, I was kind of harsh in the way I said that, I would feel so bad about that, and just like, oh, now I can't talk to anybody, you know, or I just, now I'm so sad, and um, oh, woe is me, I'll never change, you know, all these things, but it really came down to not coming to God, confessing it, and then accepting his forgiveness out of his love, because that's who he is, his main characteristic is love. And so if I was so focused on myself, you know, like, and ultimately not holding on to the truth that God does really love me, um, then I would end up just wallowing in self-pity. And what really helped me get out of that is realizing that self-pity is a form of pride. Um, And so I obviously want to not be prideful. And um, so anytime I noticed that I would get really stuck in that state of like, oh, woe is me, I'm not good enough, and, you know, God doesn't love me, then um, I'd just be like, that is so prideful, how dare I? Jesus died on a cross for me. It doesn't matter what I think of myself in this moment or ever, really. (laughs) Um, So that was one main characteristic that I noticed when I was believing this lie. Um, Another thing, which I kind of already mentioned, um, is that I really went into isolation, especially when it got really bad. And you kind of do that naturally when you give in to self-pity and believe that God doesn't love you. Um, But it would just get more and more extreme as I didn't um, conclude to remember that God loved me. Um, Yeah, so whenever you're noticing the temptation to isolate yourself or even be passive in serving. Like I would be nervous about like going to church and doing name tags, you know, because I was like, oh, like 
I don't, I don't deserve, like, I shouldn't be here right now and helping with this, you know, or, or just coming to challenge was like hard for me when I was dealing with this because I naturally didn't have that confidence of that, like God wiped away my sin, you know, so I wanted to isolate myself because even though like no one, which is the problem that no one knew what I was struggling with, like the sin that I was dealing with, um, I really didn't want anyone to even possibly know. And so naturally I was like, well, got to stay in my own room tonight, you know? And, um, so choosing any time that I did choose to go to challenge and church and just be around friends or keep meeting with Brittany, like that's what really helped me. And then just choosing to be open and honest about what I was going through too. Um, yeah, <laughs> um, because then that helps you identify like, okay, what, you know, like all of these ladies have been saying, really think through, like, what is the thought that I'm having? How do I think that life works? That really helped me um, realize this problem. And so really, um, it's, there is nothing more crucial than what we believe about God or what we're, you know, like, like there's nothing more crucial um, than really like clinging to the truth about who God is and um, it is the ultimate, like, when you start having a lie about God, like the one that I'm talking about, then it really does, like, lead you to believe so many other lies so quickly. And that's why I think it's hard to even say that you believe this one, you know, because usually you would come to a place of, like, oh, I, you know, oh, I'm so emotional, I can't control it. You know, it's easier to come to a place and say that, but Generally, it would start with something like, God doesn't love me, if that makes sense. So um, it's really important to be um, really aware of like what you know about God, and that's why it's so important to get into his word. It talks a lot of, like, God really wants us to know who he is. And so a verse that's really helped me is Psalm 103, 10 through 14. I guess it's several verses. Um, and I'll try my best to quote it right now. But it says, He does not deal with us according to our iniquities, nor repay us according to our sins. As a father shows compassion to his children, so, no, yes. As a father shows compassion to his children, so God shows compassion to those who fear him. Oh, no. <laughs> Uh, uh, well, you get my point. He doesn't deal with, <laughs> he doesn't like, how loving of God, you know? I mean, and then in Romans 5, 8, but God says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So um, just really, just, it has to start there. We have to remember the cross and we have to remember that that's the foundation of our relationship with him. And um, that no matter what we've done, like it's so easy to dwell on the past of our sins, but he wiped that clean. He knew you would do it. And he even knows what I'm going to do in the future, you know, and he still died for me. So that's just helpful. Another action that I thought of, which is a little more obscure and might be harder to identify, but um, I thought was really interesting as I was like thinking about whenever I believed uh, that God just loved me, it, it turned into a lack of a worshipful heart. Um, and so really that what I just couldn't rejoice in him and I didn't have confidence to come to him for his help. Right. I mean, it, it makes sense. Um, 
But if you're ever, you know, like, like even here at Hume, like there are sometimes I really have to catch myself when I'm singing praises to God. Like if I'm really not actually worshiping in that moment, there's something wrong. You know, it doesn't mean I have to be happy all the time. I'm not going to be. But um, in a book called Desiring God, John Piper mentions how um, worship is bringing all of our emotions and thoughts to, to God. And so I really thought that was helpful. Like, I can bring my grief to God, but that in return brings me joy. But if I'm just, like, really shut off to God, then, of course, I won't um, rejoice in who he is or have confidence to ask for his help or even to, to tell him I don't like feel loved right now or I'm really struggling with this sin like and I don't even want to come to you about it you know just be really open with God um, that helps and um, just remember that it's not about your performance ever I really struggle with this that's why I tend to believe that God doesn't love me because I have his expectations about how my life should go and what people think about me and compare myself to other people and um but God keeps no record of wrongs because he is love. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, one of the characteristics of love is that you don't keep a record of wrongs. And so God doesn't do that. Um, and then in this section of Lies Women Believe, I just really liked this um, little section that Nancy had in there about God doesn't love me. And she said, uh, no comeliness in us draws Christ's attention. It is only his essence that draws him to us. So it's, it's really, really not about you. Um, and that really can set us free. Like that no matter what, he will always love you. Like he will die for you again if he had to. And so, um, yeah, it's just important to remember that. And so hopefully some of these like, actions or the way that you might, if you fall into self-pity or not being worshipful or um, wanting to be isolated or not serve, hopefully that will help you catch yourself and um, just go back to God and remember that he loves you. Thanks, friends. I Hopefully that's helpful to you seeing how people believe lies, what that looks like and how they worked through that. Um, that's just like a quick survey of just four little examples of a giant list, so doesn't mean that's all there is, but hopefully that's a good example to you about how that looks. I have a couple other questions that I'd like to ask them, and it's technically, it's 541, and if it's okay with you, maybe there's nothing, dinner's at six. So it says we're... I just saw, I was just thinking, we have 15 minutes, unless you guys just want to, if that's okay with everyone. Okay. I was like, we could have 15 minutes and just stand here, or I could, just, we could hear from them. So that would be good. Okay, I'm going to ask one of my questions, and then we'll go into your, the box that you guys sorted through. Okay. Okay, my question that I'd like to ask is, I, I talked a little bit about how we need to be wise with like the, what we're listening to, the lies that are going through our ears, kind of, you know. So what are some practical ways that we can guard our minds and hearts from lies? 
or something that you've done to guard your heart and mind from lies? Anyone want to talk first? Memorize verses. And review them. (laughs) Review, review, review. (laughs) I have something to add. Um, We just, me and Sarah and Mariana are doing North Star at the moment, and we just talked about some of the enemy tactics. And it was really interesting working through the enemy's strategies. Fun fact, they all line up with one of the pieces of armor of the armor of God. So if you want to ask us about that later, you can. But we notice that a lot of times, almost any time you are led off track, it's because you get confused and he confuses you. And so, I don't know, something I was thinking is memorizing verses really helps you know, is this true or not? Because the Lord can use it to help you guard your heart in any moment. Um, And then you cannot be confused. Yeah, that's great. You guys have anything to add? I was just going to say, along those lines, you can't think a lie and truth at the same time. So if you focus on the truth, if you, because what I have to do, I'll never be done visiting and twirling around in a lie. That I'll never be satisfied, and that will end. It won't ever end. So you have to, de- so I have to decide that I'm going to focus on the truth. Like the other morning, I didn't figure all of that out and then decide to have my quiet time. I went to my quiet time and, f- and focused. So it's the memorizing versus, you know, it, it's um, choosing, kind of like what Mariana was saying, choosing to focus on the truth um, helps stop the lie. Okay, well, I'm going to answer my own question. Something that's helped me is, like, uh, knowing some of my warning signs that I'm going down a bad road. Like how I explained, like, with my story with Cody, like, I, something was off. When I realized how upset I was, that was, like, clicked in my brain that something was off. Because there's few examples in life where you should be that worked up. You know, and so if I'm ever worked up about something, then that's usually a sign I'm off. Or if I'm angry, obviously that's a sign I'm off. So it's like I've kind of had to learn that about myself. I think a big one is being just I get worked up, like oh, <laughs> you know, like just so upset about something, and it's also everything is awful, and so that's like what I do. <laughs> that's what I do, and so I'm trying to train myself to catch myself before I get there but especially when I'm there it clicks in my brain I've something's wrong can you guys hear me yes um one thing that Carol really helped one time Gary and I were having a really hard time it was Wednesday a Wednesday and we decided to fly out to Fort Worth on a Friday just to sit down with him. So we got there and I was like unpacking all the things I was thinking and about the situation and you know all the things I had thought about it and you know all these things. I thought it was interesting that before he came and s- spent time with us, he had us it was so funny. It's funny to think of it now. He said there was a someone I don't even know who it was. 
They said, Harold's coming. He'll be here. He'll be here in a few minutes. He wanted you to listen to this tape while you're waiting for him. So it was like he was already sort of helping us redirect our thoughts to the truth. I thought that was genius. But then after he heard all from me, he just so kindly and so lovingly looked at me and said, are you experiencing the heart, the fruit of a heart yielded to God? And it was like, ooh. So along those lines, like when I, that's been a helpful question ever since then. I think, am I experiencing the fruit of a heart that's yielded to God? Because then it's like, uh, no. And then I can go find out what I've been thinking. Kind of like Mariana said, you're experiencing this almost emotion. You can go trace back. Um, So I'm just, I'm going to pray for our time. Dear God, thank you so much for um, just the opportunity to be together as women. Um, I pray that these women will be encouraged to live in a way that fully honors you. Um, I pray that you'll help them begin to see the lies that we're believing in our heart. I pray that um, you'll reveal our hearts to us, um, that you'll search every nook and cranny and help us live lives that are more devoted to you, more honoring to you. I pray that we'll live in the freedom that you provide for us and you want us to have. Um, I pray that you will help us as we go through life to be keen to deception and help us learn how to find your truth through that. I pray that um, we'll be an encouragement to each other as we go through life, and I pray that we'll have a um, good rest of the day and a helpful last half of this conference. In Jesus' name, amen.